Well, we, we focused our attention uh, really on verses 4 through 11 as we thought about the Spirit's ministry to the world. And we saw how we should derive encouragement and hope and courage from that. But now in verses 12 to 15, we find Jesus outlining for us the Spirit's special ministry to the church, to, to us. And to understand the meaning of this text, and we, we have to be careful to always do this with every portion of Scripture, we need to read it in its context. Jesus here is speaking to the apostles. He's speaking to his chosen disciples who would, who would lead the early church after his resurrection and ascension, and essentially they would be the Spirit's mouthpiece. I think in our modern uh, American Christianity, we tend to uh, read the scriptures uh, individualistically. But here, we, we learn that this is not primarily about our own private interpretation of the Word of God. Uh, as we will see, I, I think it is true that the Spirit does enlighten us as we read the Word of God as individuals. But that's an application of this text and not the direct meaning of it. What Jesus is speaking of here is how the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, would first of all give the church the gift of the inscripturated or the written Word of God. That's really what this is about. He is saying that all that the Father has said to him has been, it's been declared, and the Spirit will take that revelation and he will declare it to these apostles and they will write it down for the church, for the comfort of the church, for their hope and for their assurance. Uh, this is uh, what was articulated. Um, by Peter in 1 Peter 1.21, he said, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking here about how the apostles would be the Spirit's mouthpiece and that they would basically give the church a written New Testament. And we could, I think, say unequivocally that one of the Holy Spirit's greatest gift to the church is this, the inscripturated word of the living God. We, we talked a bit at our men's study yesterday about how our old covenant brothers and sisters had to have so much more faith as they looked forward to Jesus. But now, what a privilege we have. We have an inscripturated New Testament that sheds a full light on Jesus and His work and helps us to see it in all of the Scriptures. You see, the Spirit, through the prophets in the Old Testament, and now through the apostles in the New, the Holy Spirit gives us the inscripturated or the written Word of God. And, and what is our job? We're not to add to it. We're not to take away from it. Our duty is simply to protect and declare and uphold the Word. 
In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul calls the church, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, the church's duty is to uphold the truth, to guard it. Jude calls us to contend for the faith which was delivered once to the saints. And when we hear that phrase, the faith, that's a reference to the word of God. Once delivered, never to be repeated, not to be added to. And Jesus highlights three aspects of the Spirit's work in relation to the written word here that I think are worth noting. Jesus essentially says that the Spirit's going to guide them into the truth about the past. In verse, chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, would come and he would bring to their remembrance all that I have said to you. And many rightly see in this a reference to the inspiration of the four Gospels. I mean, scholars, you know, debate, especially liberal scholars debate, uh, how did the writers remember what Jesus said? Where did they get their material from? Did they just make this up? Well, here Jesus gives us the answer. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance everything that I have said. And, you know, that includes, you know, John ends his gospel saying, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, and said that there, there wouldn't be enough books in this world. So this also includes, like, what, what didn't they write down? We're given exactly what we need. The Holy Spirit worked and helped Matthew, Mark, Luke, John to write down everything that Jesus desired to be inscripturated for us. But, but then... The Spirit, uh, Jesus says, the Spirit essentially is going to interpret my finished work for the present needs of the church. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, the Spirit will teach you all things. And again, he's speaking to the apostles. And in 15, 26, he says, the Spirit will bear witness about me. He is saying essentially that the Holy Spirit's going to teach you about my gospel in order that the church might be helped, in order that she might understand how the gospel applies to her in every age. And many reliable scholars see in this statement a reference to the New Testament epistles. Some of them are pastoral epistles because of the pastoral nature. In the it is in the New Testament letters, some of which were actually sermons that were read. Uh, it's where we have the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ interpreted and applied to the present needs of the church. But then in verse 13 of chapter 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will basically show them what is to come in the future. He will declare to you the things yet to come. And again, re reliable commentators see the primary um, example of this in the book of Revelation. 
where Jesus' future victory and His reign and the glorification of His church is foretold over and over again in different ways. And we need to understand when we think about what is yet to come, the Bible never gives us the when. Um, I'm trying to remember what I think Joel Beakey called the modern way we look at the Bible, like we're trying to, uh, we're basically acting like the Bible's a fortune teller. He calls it bibliomancy. Um, it's not the when, but it's the reality of Christ's victory. Um, it's, you know, the shortest commentary on Revelation. Jesus wins and we win with him. But the Holy Spirit, this is his ministry to the church. We read from 2 Timothy 3.16 where Paul was referring to the Old Testament. He said it was spirit-breathed or breathed out by God. And here in these chapters, we are reminded that the New Testament is spirit-breathed as well. The Spirit has given us the written word that is sufficient for the church's needs in every age. But not only does He give us the word, he gives us illumination. He, he shines light into our minds in order that we might understand the word and know what it's about. And Jesus speaks of this illuminating work of the spirit and he says that it will be seen, secondly, in the glorification of Jesus. Jesus said, he will glorify me. Having given us the written word, the Spirit continues throughout the ages to have this illuminating ministry. In other words, He's going to shine a spotlight on the glory of Jesus Christ in the Word of God. And we've been thinking in our men's study about how Jesus Himself said, all of the scriptures are about me. The Old Testament is about me. It's about my suffering and my entrance into glory. And Jesus assures us that the Spirit's ongoing ministry is that he will show us more and more of Jesus in the Word. And that's why the church needs to preach Christ from all of the scriptures. That's why the church needs a Christocentric, a Christ-centered view of the Word. We need to operate with the presupposition that God gives to us that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about Jesus and His work of salvation for us. Now let's think about two brief points of application the first of which is, we take Jesus' words to heart here. We can say that the supreme mark of the work of the Holy Spirit is that Christ is glorified. Let me say that again. The supreme mark that the Holy Spirit is at work is that Christ is glorified. Jesus gives us the preeminent infallible mark of the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, He will glorify me. 
We need to take that on board and remember that. How do we know if the, the Spirit's at work in the life of a church or an individual? The simple answer is Christ glorified. The mark of the Spirit's work, it's not, it's not the size of the church. It's not excitement. It's, it's not a plethora of clapping and, and dancing. It's not an emotional high from music. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not new words of knowledge. Fill in the blank. Ways that people want to define the Spirit's work. The mark of the Spirit is the lifting up and the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a church, it is an individual saying, I am nothing, but Christ is everything. It's glorying not in who we are or what we have done, but glorying simply in the cross of Jesus Christ, saying we have done nothing, but Jesus has done it all. It's us echoing what John the Baptist said. We must decrease. He must increase. Not a church talking about how great they are and how much they do, but as a church talking about how great their Savior is. Charles Ross wrote this. He said, the whole design of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of truth is nothing else but the glorifying of Christ in the hearts of the apostles and by their means, in other words, the written word, in the hearts of all believers. Christ in his person and work and love, this is the only text on which the Holy Spirit will shed a glorious light in the souls of his disciples. The supreme mark the work of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is glorified. But then secondly, and this goes back to what I said from the beginning, how we tend to look at these passages and we read into them our personal devotions. Now again, there are applications that, that are real for that. But th these passages affirm, I think, what the church has has understood, and what has been lost today, is that the Word of God was never intended to be understood and divided apart from the church. Again, hear, hear me carefully. It is true that an application, not the primary meaning, but an application of this, is that the Spirit does grant us understanding in our private reading of the Bible. And I'm not discounting that at all. But the point is that God never intended that to be the primary way that we understood and learned the Word and experienced the Holy Spirit's ministry. Uh, Carl Truman makes an interesting point when he points out how in American Christianity we want to define uh, our level of spirituality by how good our quiet time is. How, how good are your devotions? And he points out that just 200 years ago, there were people that didn't have Bibles, couldn't read. Are we, are we better Christians than them? And yet these are people who were in their local church, and week after week, 
We're under the ministry of the word. We're in the fellowship of the body. And they were true believers. And they were growing in grace. See, God never understood or he never intended for us to be out there on our own, interpreting the Bible on our own. And I think uh, the, I don't know if I want to call it the smell test, but I think we, we've always interacted, uh, had interactions with people who, it's, they, they claim to be Christians, but they don't go to church, and, and they start telling us what they believe about a certain passage of Scripture. And often we find ourselves saying, where did you get that from? And they, you know, often... They got it from themselves. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, we read that passage where Paul said to Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's spirit-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. The next question is, okay, now what's the church to do with that spirit-breathed word? Well, he goes on in the next verse. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See, the Lord intended us to experience the ministry of word and spirit together as a body. This is where we we have the claims of Jesus and the truths in the word pressed upon us in, in an objective way. Because we know our own hearts. We can sit and read our own Bibles and we're thinking of someone else that really needs to hear this, right? Instead of really being convicted of our own sin. Preachers are not infallible. And as we prepare, we too are going through this process. We're not just leaning on our own understanding. But we're comparing scripture with scripture. We're, we're reading different commentaries to see how, how has the church throughout the ages, how has she understood uh, this passage in Jesus' words here? Pierre Marcel commenting on on this fact that uh, the the corporate gathering of the church is the primary place where we experience ministry of word and spirit. He says, the commission of Christ implies that the private reading of the scriptures is not sufficient to lead us to salvation. Scripture is revelation, but the revelation must be proclaimed, preached, and put into present day context. The private reading of the word must go hand in glove with the preaching of it. The graces obtained by personal reading depend on the grace of the preached word. And I think I can, I have vivid memories of the first time I found myself in a, in a reformed church and how the preaching on the Lord's day then enriched my study during the week and I That's what he means here when he says the private reading of the word must go hand in glove with the preaching of it. This is the Spirit's ministry to us as the church, the the gift of the inscripturated word and then this 
illuminating ministry that shows us the glory of Christ in his word and helps us to see it and helps us to come to know our Savior more and to trust him more wholeheartedly. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for it is truth. Lord, we thank you for your Spirit's ministry to us as your people. We pray, Lord, that we would cherish your word. We pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves under it. Spirit, we ask that you might open our eyes, that we might behold out of your law wondrous things, that we might see the glory of Christ from Genesis to Revelation, that we might behold the one who loves us and who has died for us and who now lives forever to make intercession for us. Lord, help us as your people, as your church, to be faithful, to declare your word, to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, all for the glory of Christ our King. We pray in his name. Amen.